Shut up and sit down. Okay, welcome back to another playoff edition of Limited Upside Podcast. Mike and I are pleased today to have uh, the great, well, he, he said he's a staff writer, but we'll call him the wizard of all things sports, Zito Madu, on the, uh, on the line with us, I guess on Skype with us. I'm not sure if that's a line or how that works. but It's, from a, Detroit, li- it's a line. We'll call yeah. it a line. Uh, from Detroit, Zito, it's great to have you on the pod for the first time. Thanks for joining, man. Uh, no problem. It's awesome to be here. Cool, okay, man. that was way too humble. I need you to be a little <laughs> bit more arrogant. <laughs> Come on, we. This is the guy. This is a guy that uh, is not afraid to tout himself, and <laughs> you're just saying eh, thanks for being here. Come on, I think you can do better than that. I got to be fake humble at the beginning. No, you <laughs> don't. <laughs> just build my way up. But yeah, no, well, I like, up, Mike. Come on. But no, like I, I, I write about NBA, uh, NFL, soccer, and. Then I also played professional soccer, so there's that as well. Okay. Yeah, right, for, yeah, Detroit City FC, where I believe you had a one-on-one with the keeper uh, and you we're, failed to finish. We're not going to talk about that, Mike. <laughs> I, had, I was out to like 4 a.m. the night before and then got to the game and I was like still kind of hungover. So. At least right. that's a real, a real sports story, like a true professional athlete story. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, it was bad. <laughs> Well, nice, speaking of hungover, that's how Clippers and Warriors fans must feel after some terrible. Is that a good segue? I mean, sh- sure. Yeah, hangovers <laughs> are pretty awful, but only for a short period of time. Mike, these could be longer. Some longer-term <laughs> ramifications. That's how you do it. Come on, keep there going. There you go. Okay. Keep going. That's I'll, why I'll you're the you... host. Oh, thanks, Mike. But I'll tell you this: I I think there's only really one thing to to kind of start with. You guys did a an article yesterday. You wrote a piece yesterday. The title was How Much Should Warriors Fans Panic About Steph Curry's Injury? And then Chris Paul broke his hand last night. He has a broken bone in his right hand. He's going to miss the rest of the playoffs for anyone who has been living under a shell. Most likely. Most likely. Unless they make a deep run, which will only go as far as the next round, in my opinion. But I want to get both of your opinions on, number one, which injury is more important to their individual teams? And then what does this mean for the Clippers in even beating Portland? And I guess that will kind of be answered with number one. So, I don't know, Zito, take a first stab. You, actually, actually, let me start that over. Mike, you take first stab because <laughs> you were you the doom and gloom piece. Zito, you're going to give us some optimism. Yeah, well, before the Chris Paul injury happened, uh, I thought that this would really hurt the Warriors. I mean, the thing about... Let's start with the Steph Curry injury. I mean, the thing about the Steph Curry injury, as Zito can tell you uh, with the history of, of knee injuries and other ailments that he's suffered through, just because it says two weeks, it's not two weeks and he's back. It's two weeks and he's reevaluated, which likely means it's going to be longer than two weeks. I mean, an MCL sprain, even a grade one, that can keep you out for a while. So... It's not like he's going to come back in the middle of the second round and that's guaranteed. Like, he could miss more time. And even if he does come back, he's not 100%. And, you know, I wrote this in the piece, but the the Warriors are simply much more ordinary offensively. They're not this juggernaut without Curry's ability to shoot the three and ability to draw attention to himself and open up the rest of the team. And so without that, they're – I mean, they have a lot of good players and they have great character, as Zito has written about, but they're – you know they're not the same team. They're pretty ordinary. Their offense suddenly they're they don't really have anyone that can cause double teams. I mean, Clay Thompson is a great shooter, but he's not that type of player. And you know they have a great defense, but 
their defense will suffer too because they won't be kind of defending against uh, you know half court offenses often. And you know it's a, they're very lucky, I think, in this sense that the Clippers really are threatened now because that I think that series would have been very difficult. And frankly, I think a series against Portland now, a potential series, might be difficult too. Okay, that was a lot. That was a lot to digest, Mike. <laughs> so I'm trying. I'm trying to figure out where you just went in the full circle there. So you're saying that this injury, although is catastrophic for their long term chances, because you don't think that it's two weeks. You think it's like a, a month, maybe. Because maybe let, I mean, let's, it could be less. One, could, could be, be less. less. Could be more. I don't know. It's just I don't know if I would say catastrophic but, now but, because okay. the the Clippers. But I would say that this sure. is a big. De- this is a real problem for them. Do. Do we think that his knee was more susceptible? Zito, you said I've heard now that you've had a history of knee injuries. Do you think that that this is more like a compensatory thing, like his ankle and the way he was favoring it? I know it was a freak slide, but maybe he just slides more naturally. I don't know. Maybe there's a weak spot on the opposite side going on type thing or in the knee type thing. I'm not sure. But what, what do you think? What, what, just give me your grasp on that knee injury itself, but then go for it on the entire topic. Mike just kind of did the full gauntlet himself. <laughs> well, uh, well, that could be true actually, because I know, for, uh, I know, like personally, when when I injured my ankle, you just like start favoring that ankle, and you don't step, you know, hard on it, and then from that ankle injury, because you're like favoring it and you're trying to shield it from contact, you end up injuring other places in that same leg or body and things like that. So, no doubt. when I when I had my uh, ankle injury, I ended up getting tendonitis in my knee, mm. like a couple of months after that, and then. So it it could have happened like that, and even if you watched him in that game, he was like he was intent on showing that he can move around, even though he was like playing poorly for a little bit there. But he was like trying to make sure that he can run as much as he could and like do the same things that he could before. So it's definitely possible, but it looked like a freak slide. And yeah, apparently in the game, it's like somebody had mentioned or one of the players had pointed out that that uh, that spot was wet. Uh, but, I hate hearing yeah. that too. And, yeah, and that, that from the uh, Donatus Montiunas sliding down. Uh, I think he fell over earlier in the play. Yeah, so I added to it. Yeah, yeah. So that was just like it was like one of those things where th- bad things just keep piling up. After he yeah. just returned from injury, he like slips on the west spot of the floor right before the half, and <laughs> I don't even think he should have been like trying to guard Trevor Ariza that hard, but. It was just like a super unfortunate thing that happened too. So, uh, and we should say it, it's a grade one MCL sprain. I don't know what that means in the grand s- scheme of like grades and and how bad that is, but it looked pretty nasty. Like the eye test was like, ooh, it inverted, and like yeah. that that hyperextension always looks bad in the knee. You know, you could tell it was bad. Yeah, and, I, I'm curious, Zito. You were relatively optimistic about the Warriors' chances even before. Steph Curry or Chris Paul got hurt. I uh, wonder if you can explain why you think they're gonna they're gonna be able to survive. Well, okay, so I watched the uh, the couple of games that they played earlier this year when he had a shin injury, and he was out for I think like three games or like four games or something like that. And they lost to Dallas by a lot. Like Dallas blew them out. But before that, they played the Kings and then they played the Rockets, and they beat the Kings and they beat the Rockets, and it. It was like the same formula for where they had Sean Livingston come in. But with Steph Curry out, it was just Draymond Green took over the whole playmaking aspect. And then Klay Thompson just became like a pure score. Like he became like a Kobe type where he just took more shots. And yeah, like, he more points. 
Yeah, and with Clay, it's like, you know, it's not hard for him to get hot. And when he gets hot, he gets like lava, Steph Curry. I'm I'm shooting from anywhere and you're just like not gonna stop me hot. And like it was like uh one of the games he scored thirty eight points, the one that I wrote about and Draymond has 16 assists in that game. So I think even with Steph Curry out, it, of course it changes like the complexity of the game. Like defenses don't have to be so anxious about, you know, starting pressuring from half court and things like that. But they still have a pretty good like passing system in there. And they still have super intelligent players. And like Draymond Green and Clay Thompson are still players that you can you have to pay attention to. And then you have uh, Sean Livingston, who's a six-nine point guard coming in, and in that game against the Rockets, he has seven assists. So they still have players to create and players to score. And given the system and like Steve Kerr's way of you know being receptive and new ideas and like tinkering with the team to make sure to get the best out of them, I think they still had a pretty good chance. I, they wouldn't win the title, but they could still push teams or like challenge for it. So. No, I, I totally agree, man. I like the point you you were making there too. Uh, just like the the overall makeup of of the team, mm-hmm. uh, they have a lot of other weapons that come in and change the complexity of the game. It might not be the same type of Warriors success because of spacing, but when you truncate the game with six nine guards like Livingston and six eight six nine whatever guys like Iguodala, the defensive you know uh, cohesiveness could be scary. They could take that already elite level to another level, which they showed in the second half briefly against the Rockets, but we can almost disregard uh, everything we've seen in that series at this point. Yeah, but the the problem, though, is that as good as their defense is and as talented as those players are, and, you know, you, you mentioned the point that Curry is obviously not one of the team's standout defenders. I think he's still pretty good, but that's that's true. You know, they, they arguably have a better defensive lineup with Livingston in, but mm-hmm. the two problems I see are, one is that their defense is so good in part because they're always going against set you know, half-court offenses, the other team is always taking the ball out of the rim. And so when you miss more shots, you are in. You have to deal with these transition sequences more, and no defense is better off missed shots than it is off made shots. You know what I mean? So yeah. now they're, they're have to, they have to play in transition more on the other end, and that's hard to do, and that will just naturally hurt your defense even if you have a better defensive lineup. You're just going to have fewer chances against a half-court team. The other problem, I think, is that now, okay, Livingston's starting, but then who's replacing Livingston off the bench? And the depth is not this team's strong suit. Yeah, but Barbosa can come in and play some, some you know, minutes at point or whatever you'll have. Yeah. You know, and Clay can handle the ball fine. I think and Iguodala will handle the ball fine. He's played point guard before. It's not where he's best utilized at this point, but they've got other guys to handle the ball. I actually think that part of what makes him so unique is that, like, Steph is the point guard, shooting guard, whatever you call it, positionless guard player on their team. But like the ball goes up the court in a sequence of passes and just touches everyone's hands already. So I feel like the ball movement will still be good. I think I, think I agree with Zito on that. I think I'm not nearly as doom, doom and gloom as you, Mike. I think the time will work out great. I think OKC and the Spurs will play a long series and and they'll you know hopefully get a nice, or at least a, I still like them in four or five games over Portland without Steph. And I still like them in... I don't know, four or five games over the Clippers without Steph. Now, uh, give I'm, Chris not, Paul this. I'm not there in the Blazers. I mean, I think the problem is, like, one of the things the Warriors sort of struggle with is guarding little guards. And they don't really have – I mean, they have a lot of great wing defenders, but they don't have as many guys who can corral the Lillards and the McCollums of the world. So if that's the matchup, and you add in Portland's home court, home court 
in those middle games if CP if uh, Steph isn't back. I'm I'm not so sure, but you know, one thing is definitely clear and that is it's a lot easier now that the Clippers really do not look like they're going to be much of a threat. Yeah, let's move over to the Clippers for sure. What are your thoughts on the Chris Paul broken hand and trajectory of of what that means for the Clips now? Yeah, I mean, I think they're they're pretty much done, I think, from doing anything serious. It's not just the CP3 injury, but it's also Blake Griffin's groin being a problem, mm-hmm. J.J. Redick playing through a heel injury. And speaking of teams without much depth, this is a team that has struggled off the bench a lot. So oh, yeah. I, I think they're really in trouble. I don't know if Zito agrees with me on that. Uh, I think I might be doom and gloom with this one. Because uh, without Chris Paul, you might as well, like, your chances just dwindle, like, severely. And then you have your second best player who's, like, struggling through injury. And it's, it's just a collection of guys at this point. It's like, I think they're done. It's not really much you could do without your best two players. And then J.J. Redick being out as well. Or, like, not being out, but not being 100% either. So, Man, I jinxed them. This was my fault. Like, I, <laughs> last, last podcast. I feel so bad. I apologize, Clippers uh, Nation. I, I was pulling for you. Last podcast, I talked about how like it's going to be unique playoffs or playoff run for the Clippers because of Chris Paul's health. Finally, he didn't have an ankle or like lower body injury, <laughs> and then he didn't get he didn't get a lower body injury. So maybe I'm off the hook. But uh, man, this might be know. this Sorry. might be the rise of Austin Rivers, though. Yeah, <laughs> Austin Rivers had a huge game, two huge games against Houston last year. Just saying. Exactly. This yeah, is when he makes his case for a max deal. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, it's so good. Is it going to be Austin Rivers? Is it going to be Jeff Green, Cole Aldrich, like Wesley Johnson? You know Pablo Prigioni is going to get minutes now too. Yeah. I, it's sort of weird, the Clippers bench. I mean, you also have Jamal Crawford and Paul Pierce. Yeah. And Paul sure, Pierce. Sure. They have a bench of guys who can score, but they just don't fit together. It's But that oh, it's almost good. is like – a good thing sometimes it, it's like a gm took darts and threw it at like a, a a wall of free agent people's names and it was like okay we're gonna have paul pierce pablo prigioni wesley johnson like these are these pieces don't make any sense together and only darts and only a board that he have people he knows <laughs> yeah it just it's like really inner circle dudes like he's like well wesley johnson's playing in the same arena already let's let's get him that's easy <laughs> I, I'm curious. I think Zeta, you can speak to this well. Uh, the one, only way I think the Clippers really recover is if they really dig deep and they really kind of, you know, have this sort of next man up mentality, as cliche as it sounds. And they do have players that can put the ball in the basket. They just don't do it enough, you know, w- with the within the context of the team they normally have. And they have been pretty good. I mean, obviously different circumstances with the other injuries, but they have been fairly good when one of their stars has gone down the pass. Is there, if you're a player on the Clippers now, I mean, how do you motivate yourself to get up to replace? You know, this is because you had this great opportunity in front of you with the Warriors situation. And obviously, this is a team that has not made the conference finals, that has squandered a lot of opportunities, and there was one in front of them. And now, in a lot of ways, I got taken away in one very cruel day. How do you get back up to overcome that? I mean, how, how do you motivate yourself? Well, I think it like depends on the type of players that you have. And I remember was it was a while ago when Chris Paul had got injured, and then Blake comes in and he turns into like the point forward, where he was averaging a double double with like assists and things like that. So. And like you just said, Austin Rivers had a huge game last last year against the Rockets. So 
I don't know, like with those type of players who want to prove that they're that they're more than just like bench players or that they don't get enough credit. And like I know Austin Rivers playing for his dad, he always wants to. He has this little chip on his shoulder that he's you know more than the coach's son and things like that. So for that type of motivation and knowing that the Warriors are vulnerable now, so if you get to that next round, you you might have a legitimate chance of getting to the and getting past them, you just see the opportunity in front of you, and you just have to take it, and you need those players, like, those players that, uh, I don't know, either want to prove themselves or have the little heel mentality. Like, you get Jamal Crawford out there, and he, you know, he always wants to, he always wants to shine every single time he comes on the court. So you have those type of players, and you just have to, I don't know, like, as a coach, you have to kind of push them into that zone, where you get them into the place where they just want to take over the game at that point or show that they're better than yeah. – not that they're better, but, like, they're as good as the guy that was in front of them. Totally, man. And, and this unit – I think there was another game late in this uh, season against Oklahoma City when they, they almost beat them on the road. It was a great game, actually. Mm-hmm. It was basically the same unit, right? Yeah, there was also the Utah game they won against uh, – with a bench team late in the year against – a jazz team that really needed a win. So it could be a little bit of that uh, coach him up stuff going on here, where mm. where Doc really does kind of elevate his game as well, and his his slew of former NBA head coaches is sitting next to him. You know, there's some game planning to be had against Portland. I don't think they have a chance, just matchup wise. It's like, okay, do you want Blake playing point forward against Draymond? I feel like that feeds right into the pace and the type of game that Golden State wants to play. So mm. like. And that matchup alone is one that Draymond will embrace, you know, wholeheartedly. I, I like him in that matchup. Um, he's, you know, part of it is Blake just isn't that far along the road yet. And now with his quad injury acting up, like, what if I said, okay, Chris Paul's gone, uh, and next game uh, you get all, you know, the rest of the guys are playing. But then in a decisive game, uh, in a game six, uh, let's see, Redick isn't playing or Blake isn't playing. Now all of a sudden it's like now they don't have that much at all. I feel yeah. like that's the tipping point right there. I'm curious what we think the character of the Clippers is because the more I hear Zito talking about this, mm-hmm. the more that while rationally they should be done and just in terms of they're missing probably their three, be- their three best offensive players are probably hampered mm-hmm. if, if playing at all. But they have a lot of guys who sort of have a chip on their shoulder and then you think about where the team is in terms of their history, they've squandered chances. They're really this Doc Rivers said before the season that essentially that this could be it for them, possibly. Crawford said he would break the team up in an interview two days ago on ESPN. He said, you know, if I was Did he here, really? Yeah, he said honestly, I yeah, it was one of the, the pregame interview things or when they were sitting down candidly talking with him that they showed pregame. And he was like they asked him, you know, if this doesn't work out this year, do you think this team should split up? And he was like, you know, as a GM, honestly I would think about it at that point. Five years is a long time for the same nucleus or whatever. Interesting. Oh yes. Chris Paul to the Lakers. Finally. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, exactly. As it was written many years ago. Uh yeah. So I'm just curious, like this could go one or two ways, I think. Either they just are just layover because they've suffered too much pain and they're just too depressed about the opportunities they've missed and now the opportunity that was taken from them. Or they go the other way and suddenly like look, Doc is a really good motivational coach, but he's also a good scripter of plays. He tends to do – I think they've done pretty well undermanned before. I mean, they've never been undermanned like this. And Portland is a good team, but Portland has not won on the road yet. 
they haven't been really been competitive in LA. Mm-hmm. LA still has that trapping defense they can play to kind of take the ball out of Lillard and McCollum's hands. I wouldn't say Game Four was a, other than Aminu going off, was like a particularly amazing Portland performance. You know, no, but we we called that too, though Aminu, by the way. But, yeah, well, yeah, yeah congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. I I'm start Zito. What kind of team do you think this is? Well, I do think like with the context of. You know, if if we don't win this year, it might be over. That they they're gonna step up to the challenge, or they're they're just not gonna lie down and you know let this defeat them. Because they, I think most of the team has heard what everybody says about the Clippers, or even like Chris Paul. You know, he used to have the chip on his shoulder about how people said he never gets past a certain round and things like that. So I think a lot of them are gonna step up. It's not like DeAndre Jordan's a a, a pushover as well. So. I think this might be, like, given that this is their last chance, that this is when you find out if if they're actually, you know, if they care a lot about the game or if they're just going to lie over. And I think, for my personal opinion and the players that's there, I think they're going to step up to the challenge and take care of the Blazers and then step up to Golden State and give them a hard time. So you think they are going to end up beating the Blazers? Mike, do you think they, they end up pulling this out over the Blazers too? Uh No. I think oh. Portland will win. Okay. As I was going to say, man. One, we one disagree of the, again. One, <laughs> yeah. Pretty much on the same grounds, too. Yes, the rational know. versus the uh, motivational. The emotional. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Well, I, I think it's funny, though, Mike, because one of the things people don't like about college basketball, it's like home teams always win. Uh, but except for it's not true and really good teams do win on the road, which is the same thing in the NBA now where there's this complete, like, there's a few teams, maybe four teams total in the NBA that can win a game on the road, I'd say, against a like-level uh, team. And right now, it's all playing out accordingly. The home-and-home home difference right now is staggering. The, the fact that te- these young teams play that much better, that that much better, like 30 points from Aminu much better at home, is crazy. And we talked about it last game, or last podcast, how we thought that would matter. But I didn't think it would matter to this extent, that every one of them would kind of hold path. Yeah, uh, Portland, it, it sort of makes sense in Portland's case because they have a lot of young players, a lot of role player types that were very important in the way they broke traps mm. in the regular season. And those guys, sometimes those shots fall much more frequently at home than they do on the road. But how um, Charlotte, too? Your other? Yeah, I mean, you look at it. I mean, in the East, I think the explanation is fairly simple. Those teams were tied in the regular season. And sure. So. Obviously, home court is going to be a big, a big difference in that series. But yep. within the context of Portland, I think it's an interesting discussion to have because do we, Portland, if they're going to win this series, they do have to win one in L.A. And, you know, this is not this is a not necessarily that Memphis team. Remember a few years ago when, when Blake Griffin kind of had played through a really serious injury and they lost to Memphis? This isn't the, this Memphis team that, that the Clippers are playing. It's a... It's a team like Portland that has a lot of players that have not been there before and a lot of players that played a lot better at home than on the road in this series. And I think, I don't know if this is totally true, but I would suspect this season as well. That will be an interesting dynamic. Uh, But, I mean, let's say that Portland does win this series. Like, if we circle back to Golden State now, can, can, can Portland win against the Warriors without Steph? Oh, Zero, you can handle that one, man. Uh, I don't have. I don't think. I don't think so. But 
that would take uh, what's his name, Damian Lillard, just going off, or him and CJ having like really, really great games. Because you know, Warriors' defense is a lot, a lot stingier than like even the Clippers' defense. So, and they are they were already struggling with that. So, I don't know. I don't think they. I, I think they'll have a chance if both of their players, you know, both of their best players play really well. But I don't think they can beat Golden State with no, just totally no. No, man. If they're, if they're not, if they're going to struggle to win a game against the Clippers, who yeah. like barely have a home advantage going on there, yeah, like being no an chance. oracle. No, <laughs> no yeah. yeah, but I mean, they might, of course, win Game Five going away, and then this yeah. discussion becomes more viable. That's uh, true. So, I mean, are we in the situation then that the Warriors without can beat both of these teams without Steph? If that's maybe the case, maybe you're a little more cautious with Steph and his For injury. Sure. For know. sure. Then you then you let him wait out even game one of the of the next round. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm sorry, of of the of the Western Conference Finals if if he's not ready still. Like you don't have to force him even into game one, in my opinion. You could you could win that game at home for sure. Yeah, I mean I guess I don't know if that should be the determining factor of course, or should but be I'm just saying, help, like, but it, it's a it's an interesting point. And a lot, a lot of people are saying that the Warriors got lucky. I'm not sure the Warriors got lucky here. I mean, they there's all things considered. I mean, there's an element of fortune in the CP3 thing, but I mean that Curry injury could linger beyond the Clippers. I mean, even if he's back against, if they win the next round and he's back, I mean, I think the conference finals start like yeah. in mid-May. That's what like three weeks away or so. Yeah, dude, it's a month. There's no way you come back from an MCL sprain, ACL sprain, PCL, any of the any of the CLs in your knee in <laughs> in, a, in less than a month. You just you can't do that, especially getting back to playing in the NBA. I mean, Mike, we've been talking about this for a month and a half now. I, I'm just trying to walk on my stupid foot. I don't need to play in the NBA, and it's going to take me like five to seven months. I can't yeah. imagine having to get back to athletic level. That's crazy. Well, that. I think fans always take the they take that timetable as a literal thing. Like, <laughs> like this guy is out for a month, and then after a month, it's like, okay, he should be back at full capacity now. Yeah, yeah. Doing What's what wrong he did with him? Like, dude, even when I had my knee injury, and the the our my doctor was like, okay, you have six months, and you should be able to, you know, you'll be back, and you should be able to run. After six months, I got there. He's like, no, you're you're healed, <laughs> but like this is. <laughs> By like by the ninth month, that's when you'll start feeling comfortable. And then, like <laughs> yeah. after a full year, I was able to play without like the fear that my knee was just gonna buckle every time I took a step. Would you tell your, <laughs> you tell your ACL? No, I had cartilage damage. Uh, like, oh, got it. I tore the cartilage in my right knee to the point where it was like when I was walking, it was bone on bone contact. <laughs> so I was like in severe pain, just like standing up and walking to the store or something uh, like that. Did you get micro fracture? Yeah. All right, interesting. That's cool. I want to so, hear more about Zito and Payne. Yeah, well, no, we should, <laughs> we'll have you. Uh, Zito, you'll have to join us one of these times. We're going to have this this orthopedic, a pretty renowned uh, <laughs> surgeon, on the show. This is actually true. Uh, at some point, we're going to have him down the line, and uh, he's going to uh, enlighten us on the world of sports injuries for a bit because we we talk about this all the time. Even the name of the podcast, Limited Upside, I think, pri- mostly, primarily, is due to our our propensity for injuries mike but uh, <laughs> i digress um, one, one more thought on steph uh, yeah, go just ahead. that i mentioned this briefly but i it's interesting to kind of think about if he comes back and he's not 100 percent, how does that affect his game because 
Team, you know, first, first of all, his liftoff is shot. I mean, his shot is a lot of arm, just like compared to most shots. It's a little unique. But it's still you still need to be able to plant off that knee, off that, an- that ankle, all that. And then can he get in the lane and finish in the same way if when people close out on him? If he can't do all those things, I mean, he's still Steph Curry the threat, and that counts for a lot. But I don't know. I mean, when he – Two year, three years ago when he hurt his ankle and came back on it, he shot, I think, 39% from the field in the last three games of the playoffs. I worry that that might happen again. And if that's the case, you know, it's will teams start to treat Steph like less of the threat that he is because – or will that not matter because he's still Steph Curry? Well, remember the game that he came back, the game that he actually injured his knee in. In that first half, he was like one for seven. And mm-hmm. he missed a couple of, like, glaring layups where he got in the lane like he usually does. But he was, like, so scared to go up that he just kind of blew the layup. So I think if he comes back and he's struggling, either teams get, like, really hard on him and just completely take him out the game. Or they'll take everybody else out and, like, force Steph Curry to try to be something that his body isn't ready for yet. So well, I his, think... His brain's not there. That's for sure, man. You yeah. can tell he's scared about hurting himself. It's the yeah. worst. I mean... You don't yeah. have to be a professional athlete to, to even, you know, you know, that sense of like when you have an injury and your brain's telling you that it's not right, like that's yeah. where his head's at. You can see it in his eyes, man. That, and, and I think that was the emotion he was showing in a lot of ways. Yeah, and he was missing those threes. I think a really good sign of whether you're, you're off is if you're missing left and right on these threes as opposed to short or long. And some of those three misses he had, those good looks were way left and right. And that, yeah. to me, shows a, some sort of physical problem. So, yeah, I think that's a big concern, especially if they play the Spurs. You know that that team will stay disciplined in their approach. They're able to change their normal habits on the fly a lot better than most other teams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. And I, I, I want to say one last thing about the kind of like the build and the complexion of of the Warriors, which, you know, Zito, I think you wrote a good article here actually about kind of the the ability to rally around Steph and kind of how that this team is like uniquely situated mentally to have this happen and use it the right way. Mm-hmm. And I think that a big part of that is we'll call it like Michael Jordan as one person has like these different offshoots of what made him who he is. And that is really seen in a number of different people in the Warriors that make them so we'll call it in that capacity that uh in a sense like the jordan brain they have draymond as the leader which jordan was like the fiery one but then they also have their best player and that's steph and the fact that they're not losing both parts of the brain in one player i think is really important for them maintaining and then the fact that the rest of the team are like veterans who are part of the team last year or have been parts of runs i think there are certain guys who are underrated and have been just because of the the spotlight not being on them their whole career and then injuries in Livingston's case I think he's going to step up really big I've always been a huge fan of his and I think this is going to be a great opportunity for him Mm. Um, and then the the last part was and you wrote about this specifically but they the love for each other that that does not carry over to the rest of the teams look at the team they're playing in the first round of the playoffs right now like those two teams are in the same league and we think about that from like uh, a camaraderie and a sense of, of how you go to work each day standpoint. I mean, it's like a job you hate versus a job you love. That's yeah. the difference, you know? Yeah, like when I was uh, just like writing about that article and just 
listening to Iguodala's speech when he won the MVP in the final about like how close the team is and like how for him a lot of it is just like religious because they're all like you know they all have like the same religious values and things like that Mm -hmm. but you watch them and it's like even after the games the way they play around with each other and like the way they just generally interact they're actual friends off the court as much as they are on it and you see like Steph takes a three you see Bogus celebrating it already or you know like You'll mm-hmm. see, yeah, like they're act, they're they're having as much fun playing the game. Like you would expect them just to be a group of friends having fun and then playing basketball at the same time, sure. rather than coworkers having a, you know, struggle for a common goal where they don't really like each other. Like the Rockets, yep. James Harden w- makes the game when they're like <laughs> the whole bench is just upset at. Him. Yeah, that <laughs> was weird. Explanation for that. Is there a reason for that? Look, I don't know. All I got to say is all the people saying that, oh, that's normal, and they were just – they knew that the game wasn't over. Maybe watch a bench celebrate anything once in your life. People celebrate after every shot. That is not normal. (laughs) That's part of the job is if you're not – like if you're the Cameron Payne of the team and you're on the bench, your job is to kind of encourage your, your teammates when they hit a shot at any point in the game. Especially at that so point bitter. in the game. <laughs> they looked so angry at oh, him. Like, you know, even the hand movement of Dwight was like kind of like a fussy, like, damn. That was what it said. Damn. It was very weird. <laughs> now, that's also why I'm, I'm, I want to see the Warriors respond against a team that is not yeah. the Rockets before yeah. I say that they have this ability to strike back in that way. That's yeah. all I got to say. Let's see them do it like, against a not Rockets. Agreed. Agreed. All right, let's transition. So we wanna, I want to kind of end this with a little, I don't know, let's play off the, the injury theme for, for another couple minutes. Uh, we'll call them the playoff injury power rankings, but really what we're going to try to figure out is or who are the most indispensable players. So the guys remaining on teams who have a chance to win. So we're not going to uh, win playoff rounds, that is, to get to maybe the Eastern and Western Conference Finals and therefore into the championship. So we won't be talking as much um, uh, about, like, Again, sorry to use Houston as an example, but like Houston, who has a game left, all right? So, so Harden will not be on the list, even though he's a good player. So what I, I'll kick it off with this. The, I think the most indispensable player, the player who is the most essential to his team winning the championship, if you will, currently left, isn't Steph Curry. And I don't know if that's like groundbreaking or whatever revelation. He's the MVP, but I think his team can do not equally as well, but still potentially make it to the Western or make it through to the Western Conference Finals, into the championship, and then from there, who knows? He'll maybe be back. But I think LeBron is still at the top of this, call it the hierarchy of the indispensable players. I think without him, the Cavs might not even make it out of the East and have no chance against the West. Therefore, he diminishes their championship uh, aspirations the most. And then after that, I'll just throw names at you guys. Now, tell me what you feel about LeBron, but then guys like Durant, Chris Paul, Curry... Westbrook Lillard, kind of in their own little category. Kawhi, Paul George, in their own category. Lowry, Isaiah Thomas, Kemba Walker, and theirs. And then maybe Draymond Thompson after that. Zito, what do you think about these most indispensable concepts here? Uh, I think LeBron is just automatically going to win that just mm-hmm. by like how important and like how supernatural he is. And I think... For a second, I would say Isaiah Thomas, just like relatively how his team kind of depends on him to be like the go-to in every situation. Even like with them beating the Hawks, you, like he has to have big games every night. He has to like almost do like the impossible every night for them to for them to have a chance, especially with like 
everybody else out. Well, he is the two best things you could possibly see for like contrast, right? He's little and left-handed. So he, he's like, <laughs> it, only, it always looked nice when Derek Fisher was raining threes and he was bigger. You know, the same mechanics, like beautiful teardrop left-handed three is so pretty on TV. Now, devil's advocate, are we sure LeBron is so indispensable with the way Kyrie and Love have been playing so far? I know, Zito, you and I have talked about how impressed you are by how they've responded so far. I know it's early, but they both really stood out in that Pistons series. That was not an easy series, even though it was a sweep. Devil's advocate, given the way they're playing, is that enough to bump LeBron down the list? I was actually going to do that. I was actually thinking about that because I was like, well, with Kyrie and Kevin Love playing so well, maybe LeBron being... Because like last year, it would have been different without Kevin Love. Then you could say, you know, LeBron has to be here all the time. But like, Kevin Love scored the most points the first game. And like him and Kyrie, this has been their series against Pistons and it's been really close. But then I like with that, I always factor in the fact that LeBron is still there and like the threat that he creates. And a lot of like the assists that come from that team is either him doing the assists or him creating the opportunity, like driving into the lane, drawing multiple defenders and then, you know, dishing it out to Kyrie who passes it to J.R. Smith for an open three. So I think the threat of LeBron alone just being there, you always have to be like, okay, that's LeBron James. And if he drives into the rim, you have to put more than one defender on there. So I don't I don't know. It's weird because like with those two playing well, I want to bump them down. But then at the same time, this is still LeBron James. And like you know the impact that he has just by being, you know, just by being one of the five people on that court. Yeah. Totally. He puts his multiplier on all those guys. Like, Jared Smith had a career season, and you haven't heard his name for a bad reason the whole year. Like, these things don't just happen. It's because LeBron's on the court. Um, I I, I still say that's one of LeBron's greatest achievements, is turning J.R. Smith into a capable, (laughs) sane human being. It's amazing. It's like he had the worst situation with, like, Melo as his leader and living in New York City, and then he got shipped over to Cleveland and with LeBron. It was just like, like going to rehab. (laughs) to to circle this back to the original kind of discussion do do you think that steph or cp3 is higher on this list oh Uh, i think oh go ahead man oh uh i will take cp3 i agree yeah yeah I, i think i do too just because of the other injuries but if everybody was relatively healthy i would not i would take steph i think it's the fact that blake griffin is also injured that you would take cp3 uh, yeah, I, but this is like the, their chances of winning. Like, it, even with the healthy other players, if Chris Paul is on their team, and we are, we were taking. So unfortunately, this was going to be taken into account with Steph's injury that we knew about, and then Chris Paul happened last night. But I still think Chris Paul's injury hurts his team more than Curry's does. Do you see what I'm saying? In the indispensable, even if even if Griffin was healthy, yeah, even if Griffin was healthy, but. But that's only because they're playing each other, and that's just the matchup that I think Golden State would win that. Okay. Yeah, I, I disagree. I think if Griffin was healthy, you could plug in any one of those point guards, shift the playmaking through Griffin like you did in last year's yeah. playoffs and at times when Paul's been injured in the regular season, and you would not be quite as powerful. But, I mean, the Clippers are sort of uniquely set up where one of those stars can carry the other. It yeah. has been the case. So. I would disagree with if if uh, Griffin was healthy. Um, fair, fair, but I would have, and here's the, the kicker, I think Durant is the second most important player. I still think Oklahoma City can beat the Spurs. 
I, I'm going to hold that until the day they lose in the playoffs to the Spurs this year. <laughs> eliminated. I'm holding to that because I like Oklahoma City that much. And I still think they can win. With Durant, they could potentially win the West and win the championship. Without him, they missed the playoffs last year, and teams already know that you can let Westbrook get his 40, 15, and 12, and it, it, they'll lose. You know, you concede that. So I have him at two. Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe. I mean, that Thunder team still did win 45 games. I mean, they were out of the playoffs because they were in the West and they lost a tiebreaker. And they also didn't have a Baca at that time. So you yep. add him in, that adds more wins. I'm trying to pull the numbers of some of these lineups, but mm. I believe that lineups with only one of Duran and Westbrook have still been very good this oh, year. I'm sure, I'm sure they have. I'm just saying if you're playing – Popovich in a seven game series like they are he'll devise a plan to win without one of them significantly easier I, I what do you guys think just real quick super quick quick hitter on that because we know the matchup like who, who do you like in that series uh go ahead Zito uh against the with the Spurs and the Thunder yeah uh I just automatically kind of have to side with the Spurs because they're the White Walkers of the NBA. So (laughs) (laughs) I hate I hate them, but like (laughs) there's there's really nothing you can do against a team that like somehow with all these like old bashers on the team and one guy who wears cornrows still manages Mm -hmm. to be one of the best teams like year in and year out. So it's amazing. No, no, it's 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 incredible. Like so they're they're the favorites obviously in the series, but I fully expect Oklahoma City to come out and blitz them in game one. That's my... Uh, well, my opinion has not changed from the pre-playoff the pre uh, playoff podcast. I think the Spurs will win fairly comfortably. I do not think that the Thunder... I don't think that the Thunder have this sort of execution that can beat that team, that defense. Fair. You know, even though they beat the Mavs, and the, I mean, the Mavs are really they're just broken down and bad. And I wouldn't say that they – I mean, they overwhelm them with talent. I'm not sure that Canner and Waiters, though they will probably play well in certain matchups, and I think Canner might give the, the, the Spurs problems, I don't think they're going to play like they did against the Mavericks. I, I, I would say Spurs in six. I'm not quite sure where the games are won, but uh, <laughs> I think it'll be – it will be competitive, but I, I lean San Antonio. Okay. Um, Okay. I would say, you know, going back to the original discussion, yeah, I think uh, we got to mention Paul George in this okay. most indispensable players discussion. Can I, can I throw four names at you then and tell me where you think they fall around each other, Mike? Okay. Cool. So Paul George is one, Kawhi, Kawhi Leonard, okay, Westbrook, and Lillard. Where are those four right now in these playoffs if it comes down to, indisp- to the most indispensable player? I would say George is one with a bullet. I mean, okay. look at that team without him. Who scores? Who plays? He's like they're he's scoring all. He's the entire offense is running through him. He's single handedly shutting down Toronto's leading scorer, and he's doing all of that when they they don't have him on the floor. They really struggle. They don't have any other second option on their offense. I mean, they I he's what he's done in that series. I had a feeling that he could do this against that matchup, but it's just unbelievable. I would say Lillard is probably second. And then you said, what, Kawhi and Westbrook? I would say Westbrook third and Kawhi fourth. Okay. Zia, what do you think? I actually agree with Mike. <laughs> no. We are actually in agreement <laughs> here. Because I don't think the Pacers even exist without Paul George. And, yeah, like, I think the Spurs could get by with Kawhi. And then, like, Lillard is basically 
pivotal to his team almost in the same way that Paul George is. So, yeah, that, me and Mike are in agreement finally. Okay. Okay, all right. Wow. So we finally we found the single NBA topic for you guys. Yeah, right. it's good. It's good. Um, all right, then three. I was going to say three guards' names because uh, I didn't know if Isaiah Thomas was going to come up at number two. But, Mike, I'll let you kind of play the devil's advocate first then. With Kyle Lowry, uh, with Kyle Lowry uh, Isaiah Thomas, and Kemba Walker, where do those three situate amongst each other in this, in this value ranking? I think Isaiah's probably the clear number one, if only because, I mean, you look at that team, they have nobody who can score without him. Mm. Uh, I will say that Lowry is ahead of Kemba because you look at the, the Hornets and the way they've played. They've won a lot with their size on defense and their ability to kind of help and recover. And while Kemba kind of won them the game last night, I think they can kind of still attack and pick and roll with Jeremy Lin pretty well. Yeah, and so I I would say that Kemba is behind Kyle Lowry for that reason. Okay, and then let's yeah. see. Do we know where you your number one lies? Who do you have over with Lowry and Kemba? No, I think I think he's right in uh, Kemba and Lowry, mm-hmm. like with that position, and because like I think you know Kemba's team can do without him more than Toronto can do without Kyle. Sure, and we've already talked about how Isaiah Thomas is literally the Celtics right now. So <laughs> <laughs> true. Okay, fair. So then, I guess the big men and the last ones I want to situate here, which is DeAndre Jordan, Draymond, Whiteside. Where's the the value for those teams moving forward with those three? I think Draymond is probably the most important. I mean, is Whiteside really even that important? They they didn't really play him much down the stretch the other night. The th- the Hornets are killing him in pick and roll. I mean, he helps their offense. But that's why they lost the last two games. You well, know? I, I don't think it's because of Whiteside. I mean, no, he, but he's contributed for sure. You're right. He has not played well. Yeah, I mean, he's been a little banged up, but I mean, I think that that's a key reason. And who was the other name you mentioned? It's DeAndre Jordan. DeAndre. Well, I think DeAndre is now very important. So yeah. I mean, I think more so than Draymond for his team's success. No. No, I still think that the Warriors need Draymond. I mean, you we have both said it. I, mean, yeah, he, yeah. I believe he's averaging a triple-double without Steph. I mean, yeah, is that gonna, right? He's going to be yeah. great, man. He's going to be in front of the camera the entire game, literally motivating the entire world from within. He's going to be great. He's going to yeah. be a, a, a juggernaut this series, I'm sure. Yeah, so I, I, that'd be my order. Come on, Zito, disagree with me. Well, I, I can't really because like, <laughs> I'll take Draymond number one because, you know, yeah. the, He's the heart and soul of that team. Just beyond the numbers, with Draymond on there, the team doesn't they don't like uh they don't get complacent mm-hmm. because he yells at her. He even yells at Steve Kerr. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's like a firecracker. So like with Draymond there, he has to be like the heart and soul and like the second best player on the team. He he has to be a clear number one. And you know, Whiteside, we've I don't know, like it was even some articles, a couple of like a couple of weeks ago or months ago about like how the heat play without him. And it's not, it's not that bad. And so like DeAndre Jordan's like their defensive juggernaut yeah. of the Clippers. He's, he stops the whole, you know, he's the rim protector. He's, and he's also like a very good, you know, player. He puts in the points as well. So yeah, I think Whiteside is the clear loser of the three there. I, I just wanted to get the Heat in the conversation for the. We hadn't mentioned them yet, so he he felt like the right guy to kind of put on the list because I don't think anybody else. If, if I said like, if I said DeRozan, Thompson, and Wade, Ooh, not Wade's DeRozan, are, not DeRozan, not not the way he's playing this playoffs. But that's the whole point. Hey, leave DeRozan point. alone. <laughs> yeah, you leave you leave him alone. He's making himself available for the Sixers in the offseason for exactly. for a cheaper you just price. Wants to play Philly. Yeah. Do you want DeRozan on your team uh, now? 
Not really, man. I don't. <laughs> like, how does one person just plummet their whole like value that quickly? You know, I'll tell you how. A, uh, <laughs> his style works a lot better in the regular season, and he's going against one of the three best wing defenders in the NBA. Yeah, and he kind of doesn't. He's does. He talked the other day, the other podcast about players who have one one speed on their pitches. DeRozan kind of only has one speed in his game. There's no like kind of alternate strategy. So if one thing isn't working, it's just, I mean, what is he? He doesn't have really anything left to switch. So I hope he can find a way to shake loose because I, I like that there's some variety and that not every shooting guard is the same, but no, it's not looking good right now. That's what he gets for, that's what they get for having Drake sponsor that team. <laughs> <laughs> it happened with Kentucky. It happened with Serena Williams. It was always going to happen. It's the new Sports Illustrated cover. It's just a human. <laughs> he just comes and gives, kiss a death on him. Exactly. <laughs> All right, I, well, I feel bad for Toronto. I can't help. I can't lie. But they'll, they'll make it up this year when they win the World Series. So, <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but, yeah, before yeah. we go, I want to get, um, because it's been requested, I want to get Zito's thoughts on uh, Charlie Villanueva, uh, his actions during this Mavs Thunder series, both the thing he did in Game Two, and I don't know if you saw the picture in Game Five. Try to keep We're, it as clean as possible, but I'm very curious to hear your thoughts on uh, Charlie Villanueva. After I'm sure you saw what uh, Westbrook and Durant said about him after Game Five. Yeah, like that he's <laughs> that he's gonna he has time for vacation, so he can wait to not play the next season. <laughs> <laughs> not even be in the league. Well, that's what that's what he gets though. Like I, I was watching the video after he tried, he broke up the Westbrook dance, the Westbrook and Cameron Payne dance the first time, and he was like, he was trying to be like this super cool dude about, uh, you know, if you want to dance, go in the nightclub and things. And I'm like, dude, it's dancing. Like dancing is probably one of the most innocent things in the world. Just <laughs> how can you be so like bitter? Like, okay, I'm a natural hater. I hate when, you know, like I've hated on several people for I, no reason than to just to be petty. Right? I thought you were going to say you're a natural dancer. <laughs> that too, but, you know, that's for that's for 4 a.m. when I have a soccer game the next day. <laughs> but, Char- like, he's such, like, you can't even, that, that type of hate and thin doesn't work if you're not a good player. It just makes you look bitter and, like, pointless because Westbrook is out there playing and you're, on the bench, watching them put up triple doubles against your team, and you can't do anything about it. <laughs> like it just makes you look pointless because now you're just. And then with uh, with what Mark Cuban said and like everything, it just made the Mavs look horrible and like petty because they're getting beat down, and all they're doing is just like doing little petty things to try to get at Westbrook, and he's just going out there and just obliterating the team. And then so, uh, just the, the dumbest, most simple stuff that like teams tried to do against them five years ago, like yeah, oh, uh, like, it's Durant's team, not Westbrook's. And, like, like, it doesn't work. Right, <laughs> they're not. Exactly. They don't hate each other. They're right. they're real friends. Like Kanye said it. They're real friends. Yeah, <laughs> I mean the yeah. the other thing I think, and Tom Ziller wrote this is that. And Mark Cuban and Charlie Villanueva don't have to guard Russell Westbrook. You know? So they really just made life worse on their, their teammates. They're pissing them off. Why are you pissed? Like, yeah. Westbrook already plays at 100%. Now you're pissing them off. You got them cussing out random people in your stadium. <laughs> you're making the situation worse. The best way Charlie, even, uh, Charlie could have made this better was he shows up at the Thunder locker room right before the game, and he gives Westbrook a bunch of cookies and, like, flowers. <laughs> and so, like, really, 
he really enjoys his fashion. Like nobody enjoys his fashion, but like you have to like pander to him at that point. Just distract him, you know, kill him with kindness. He has, because like, real rehearsed lines, like it writes on the inside of his hand, like Russell, I think you're really cool. You have yeah, like, great like, pants. Like the start of Godfather with Luca Brazzi, he's just sitting there talking to himself, like thank you, Godfather, for inviting me. <laughs> <laughs> he has to do that because that's like the only way because if you're sitting here pissing off a person who plays really good when he's angry you're just like letting your teammates down yeah, you don't and, poke the bear and yeah. especially charlie come on yeah. he's, he snitched on kevin garnett for you know like making fun of him <laughs> like this is like he's trying to be the tough guy when he's not like no, he, beat yourself Brian McCann. He's the Brian McCann of the NBA. He's just like kind of a guy who's been in the league, but he's the one who has to police the rules of like the unwritten rules of the, the game. The unwritten rules and no dancing. Yeah. Uh, nobody cares about nobody cares about Charlie like that. And yeah. everybody like I'd rather watch Russell Westbrook dance pregame than watch <laughs> a Charlie Villanueva highlights tape. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good. That's a good quote. That's a good way to end this. Sorry, Charlie Villanueva. I used to watch you play at Hacks. You were a nice guy. That's how I'll, I'll, I'll finish it off with that. He was, he was a nice guy. Um, cool. Um, Speaking of right. killing him with kindness. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had to end it on some. What if he wants to come on the podcast someday? I'm just kidding. Um, all right. Well, let's see. Uh, Zito, thank you for joining us. This was fun. We'll have to have you on again. I want to talk about like soccer things and, and more about the rest of the world of sports with you. So maybe we'll have you on another podcast uh, soon. Yeah. But uh, quick. No, appreciate it, man. Um, anything you want to plug uh, that you have going on right now? Um, well, I'm probably writing about like 700 different things or doing 700. So like, I don't know. It'll probably come up on SB Nation because Michael Katz is trying to make me a superstar on Snapchat. So <laughs> yeah. every Friday, Zito is on the uh, username is SB Nation Snaps. Uh, he's on every Friday recording from the front seat of his car, which I never quite understood. <laughs> well, uh, I told I told Michael or Cass that, you know, I should do it other places. And he's like, no, people love it that you're sitting in your car <laughs> talking to them on the phone. <laughs> so that's what the people want. And so every Friday morning, I go in my car and <laughs> record and talk, like, talk crap about <laughs> other people's teams. <laughs> nice. It's perfect. You're made for that role, man. Um, <laughs> but uh, cool. Well, uh, find, uh, find Zito at, uh, at underscore Zeets on Twitter. Uh, he's a good Twitter follow. Find uh, Prada at uh, Mike Prada SBN. And find myself at EpiBen and then at limited, limited underscore upside. There's an underscore in between limited and upside. Okay, then subscribe to us uh, on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, uh, rate us, review us. Those those reviews are good too. Chuck those in there and make them nice and high. We we need to get up on the boards. More people will see us and know about limited upside. Um, until next time, hopefully we'll be coming at you potentially with a, a big name on the pod. We'll see uh, in a few days. Uh, hopefully trying to get that locked down, and then of course more playoff action, with Prada and maybe some special guests. Uh, guys, thanks for a great pod. Until next time, limited upside podcast. <laughs>